What comes to your mind when I say the word church? If we surveyed people across our community, we would, without question, receive a variety of answers. For some, when they hear the word church, they think religious organization or institution. For others, when they hear the word church, they think, that's a, a place I need to go out of a sense of obligation or duty. When some hear the word church, they think irrelevant for my day-to-day living. Still others, when they hear that word church, might say, well, that's something I'll get around to when I take care of all the other things going on in my life. There would be a diversity of answers if we asked that question. But this morning, as we look in God's Word, I want to, by God's grace, stir your hearts so that when you think of the word church, you'll think privilege, power, impact, movement for the glory of God. And so, keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are continuing our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful book in God's Word called Acts. Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And I want to ask you, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Holy Word. Acts 2, verse 14, the Bible says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are so grateful, Lord, for the privilege of corporate worship. Lord, that we are able to get together and fellowship 
and assemble under the authority of your word and for the purpose of worshiping you. Lord, what a privilege we have. Now, Lord, I pray that as we come to you as a faith family, as we bow our hearts before the truth of your word, I pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way. Help us to understand the privilege and the responsibility of being a part of your church. Well, thank you, Lord, for that grace. I ask that you would establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, last week we studied the supernatural phenomena that came from the Lord on the day of Pentecost after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and gave some final orders to his disciples. He ascended back to the Father and he told his disciples they were to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the the baptism of the Spirit. So for 10 days, the followers of Christ, about 120, gather in an upper room and they pray and they wait for God to move, to give them the power they would need to fulfill the orders of Christ, to be his witnesses. And on the day of Pentecost, the promise of the Father is fulfilled. We see that the Spirit of God uh, fills up the believers in that room and They hear a mighty rushing wind and they see tongues of fire over each Christ follower's head. And they begin to speak of the mighty acts of God in different languages so that people who are gathered there for that Pentecost feast from different different nations, Jews from different, different nations could hear the mighty works of God or about the mighty works of God in their very own language. And so these disciples were, were preaching in a, in a language they did not know. It was a miracle of God. And people begin to gather. They, they hear the wind. They hear the Christ followers proclaiming uh, truths about God in different languages. And they begin to wonder what's going on. As a matter of fact, some walked up and said, those men are drunk. I mean, how could you explain what's going on here? And look at the question they ask in verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? So the crowd that gathered wanted to know the meaning, the the import of, of what they heard and saw transpiring right before their eyes. So in response to that question, What does this mean? Peter stands up to explain what this is all about. And Peter here, in chapter 2, preaches a powerful gospel sermon. One of the greatest sermons you and I will ever study. And it's so wonderful, it's going to take us three weeks to get through it. We're going to look today at the introduction of his sermon as he explains the answer to that question, what does this mean? And then next week we're going to look at the the body of this sermon as he uh, speaks of the, the finished work of Christ. And then we'll talk about the, the next week, the conclusion of the sermon, as Peter calls for a decision, calls for people to become followers of Christ. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at that first part of the sermon, uh, verses 14 through 21, and I want, us to, I want us to understand what Peter is saying here because he has much to say about the church. And I believe as we look at the the truths that Peter relays in this passage, our hearts will be 
stirred. And we will be moved to think of our privilege and our responsibility as members of the body of Christ. So if you look there in your notes, I want to give you three realities. Three realities to stir your hearts. Reality number one. We live in the greatest time in human history. We live in the greatest time in human history. They say, where are you getting that from? Well, I'm getting it from Peter's sermon as he explains what is happening on that day of Pentecost. Look what happens in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. I thought about preaching an entire sermon about Peter being the one to preach the sermon, but we don't have time to do that. Maybe we'll do that some other time. But Peter stands up with the eleven, lifted... Hey, listen. Peter had denied Jesus Christ. He thought his ministry and his impact for Jesus was over, but before Jesus Christ went back to heaven after his resurrection, Jesus Christ restored Peter, got him back in the game, and used him mightily. Aren't you glad that God gives us second chances? But I'm not going to preach that. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now he's going to use some logic, first of all. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock. They haven't been drinking. That's not what's going on here. But this, he's going to explain it. This phenomena, the mighty wind, the tongues of fire, the, the preaching of the mighty works of God in different languages, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so Peter appeals to Joel the prophet who wrote some things hundreds of years before this day that were fulfilled on this day of Pentecost. And look what he says. Quoting Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Peter here explained that the events of Pentecost were a fulfillment of prophecy. He quotes here from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And he's saying, here's what all this means. You wonder what this means. Here's what it means. God is coming through on the promises that he made hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Joel. God is fulfilling a prophetic message from Joel. This is what you see here, men of Judea. This, what you see, is a fulfillment of God's prophecy. So he explains that to the believers. And so he says here, this is the last days that God is going to, in which God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now here's what you need to understand. The events of Pentecost inaugurated what he calls here in verse 17, the last days, which is the age of of the church. The last days is uh, are the last days are the age of the church. You see, the church age started at Pentecost when God baptizes followers with the Spirit, and it will end when Christ returns. Look what he says in verse verse uh, verse twenty one. I'm sorry, verse uh, twenty. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So he's saying this is the starting point of the church age, the last days, day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes, baptizes the followers of Christ, but it will end uh, when Christ returns, when Christ comes again. And so that gives you an idea of the church age. The church age, the last days, started on Pentecost, and it will end when Jesus Christ returns. So, if you live between Pentecost and the return of Christ, which you do, you're living in the last days. You are living in the age of the church. Because the church is the primary vehicle that God has chosen to use to proclaim His good news to a lost and dying world. Now let me just say some things about the church age. First of all, the church age, church age is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Look what it says in verse 17. In these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on male and servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Second time he says that. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And so think about all that is, is being said here, all that's being communicated. In the last days, the church age, there'll be the pouring out of the Spirit of God on God's people to empower them to do what He's called them to do. There will be visions, there will be dreams, there will be signs, there will be wonders, there will be people prophesying the truth of God. The, the church age is an extraordinary time. It consists, if you look in your notes, of dreams, visions, signs, wonders, and Spirit-empowered proclamation. That's what the church age consists of. Dreams, visions, signs, wonders, and spirit-empowered proclamation. Doesn't sound real ho-hum, does it? So when you ask people what they think of when they think of church, and they say obligation, they don't understand all that is entailed with the church age. Signs, wonders, miracles, dreams, visions, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. That sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? But there seems to be this disconnect between what the Lord says the church age will consist of and what we experience as local churches, doesn't there? Where's that excitement? Where's that touch of the supernatural on local churches in our day and time? The church age is extraordinary. Peter points that out. But secondly, the church age is extraordinarily difficult. Not only is it extraordinary, it's extraordinarily difficult. Look what it says in verse 19. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And this next sentence sounds pretty serious, pretty severe. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. That sounds pretty severe, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, you say, wait, I was with you with the dreams and visions and pouring out of the Spirit, but now you're talking about blood and smoke, and I don't know about that. That sounds pretty difficult. Well, it is. And Peter here is alluding to the, the difficulties that will occur in the church age. You see, the church age consists of persecution. God's representatives, the followers of Christ, will be persecuted. Jesus said that 
You shouldn't be surprised when persecution comes. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too, my followers who represent me. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're reminded that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may be persecuted, but will be persecuted. And so the church age will consist of persecution. It will consist of apostasy, a great following, falling away. People who profess Christianity are not true, genuine followers, and they will fall away by the multitudes, turning their back on the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the church age will consist of suffering for the church. Think about that. Persecution, apostasy, suffering. Oh my. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And God, in the midst of that, will judge. Hence the mention of blood and fire. God's going to judge humanity in a severe way, those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as the end times are ushered in. And he mentions there, not only this, but the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes. There will be, listen, cosmic phenomena. He mentions that here, the, the sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood. There will be earthly calamity. And both of those will precede the coming of the Lord. There will be wars. There will be natural catastrophes and other evils that come as a result of living in a fallen world. So listen, the church age is extraordinary. Spirit of God, dreams, visions, prophesying. Awesome, right? But it will also be extraordinarily difficult. Persecution, apostasy, suffering, judgment evil around us. So wait, how do you, how do you reconcile that? How, how, how can you say that this is a great time? In, how, how can you say this is the most exciting time in which to live? I want the good, I don't want the bad. Well, listen to me. This is why it's the most exciting time to live. The church age is the age that will usher in the return of Christ. Listen, there's no more ages between the church age and the second coming. We are the final epic. We are the final era. We are the final age before Christ returns. Listen to what Jesus said over in Matthew 24. Turn there with me. Matthew 24. Because in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the extraordinary nature of the church age, but also the, the difficulty of the church age. But look what he says in Matthew 24, verse 9. This is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased and love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And listen, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So he's saying it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But guess what? As you proclaim the gospel to every nation, you are ushering in the second coming of Christ. Question, are you ready for Christ to come back? Don't you long? Isn't there something in you that longs for Christ to come back and set everything right. As we look around at the sin and the evil and the brokenness and the wickedness and the suffering, 
Don't you long for the King of Kings to return and set it all right? Well, guess what? We get to be a part of ushering in His return as we proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because before He returns, every people group on the face of the earth will hear the gospel. That's what Jesus says. So this is a a, a difficult time, but it is a, a wonderful time. The church age has lasted for over 2,000 years. It started on Pentecost. And we're still living in the church age today. But let me tell you something exciting. In 2014, as followers of Christ, living in the church age, we can now see the finish line. We know, based upon cutting-edge, up-to-date research, that there are a little over 3,000 unreached people groups, unengaged, unreached people groups in the world. So if we will engage them with the gospel, listen, we get to the finish line. We usher in the return of Jesus Christ. We can see the light at the end of a very difficult tunnel, right? So not only are we privileged to live in the church age, I believe we're living at the end of the church age. We are living, listen, in the last days of the last days. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. This is the most exciting time to live on the face of the earth in human history, period. I remember when I ran a half marathon first time, and uh, I trained and prepared for it, and I was running up in Memphis, and, and, and I, just to be honest with you, it was, it, I was hurting. It was awful. It was awful, and and I remember, you know, just hurting and pain, and, and I remember coming around the corner for the last mile, and when you come around the corner, you see that you see AutoZone Park where the race ends, and man, when I saw the finish line, I began to pick up the pace. By the time I got there, I was running hard, because something about the finish line, that gives you the energy you need, the strength you need, the resolve you need, To get up and go. Listen to me, church. We can see the finish line. Let's get up and go. Let's be about evangelizing a lost and dying world so we can be a part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus Christ. John Piper writes this. The point is this, in the last days, the days that began with the coming of Jesus, God's purpose is to empower his people again and again with extraordinary outpourings of the Spirit until the witness to his name has reached all the peoples to the end of the earth. Yes, the love of many will grow cold. Yes, there will be apostasy on a large scale. Yes, people will simply forsake the faith when the world turns up the heat. But in the midst of all that unbelief and coldness and treachery, Jesus says that the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. In the face of all that persecution and in the the midst of all that deadness, the true church of God is going to have extraordinary power, extraordinary zeal, extraordinary passion and love for Jesus. And we're living in that age. Amen? So Jesus never says it's going to be easy. But he did say it was going to be extraordinary. 
in the midst of the hardship, may the passion for Jesus Christ and the gospel burn brightly at Longview Point Baptist Church. May we, be, may we be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the one whom God pours out on his followers in the church age. There's a second reality to stir your heart. Not only are we living in the most exciting time in human history, we have the greatest power available to us. The greatest power available to us. Look what what Peter says back in Acts 2 about this church age, these last days. Verse 17, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Look in verse 18, the last part of verse 18. In those days, the church age, I will pour out my Spirit. And so... Peter's clear, quoting Joel, that a major characteristic of the last days, a major component of the church age, is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, will be poured out on a special way on God's people to empower them to accomplish what he's called them to do. That's a major characteristic of the church age. In other words, God promised to pour out His Spirit on His people. He promised to do that. That's a a characteristic of the church age. Now let me just give you some insight into who this gift of the Spirit is for. If you look there in your notes, the Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower. Listen, regardless of gender. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Verse 18, even on my male servants and female servants. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift given to men and women. Everyone in the body of Christ, male or female, has a role in kingdom expansion. You know how I know that? Because whether you're a man or woman... If you're a Christ follower, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And He's there for a reason. Secondly, the Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower, regardless of age. This is good news, is it not? Look what it says in verse 17. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, period. And that's it, right? No. And your old men shall Dream dreams. And so we see that the Spirit of God empowering believers, filling up their lives, is a gift for young people and old people and everyone in between. Now many in the church feel like they are not at a, an age To really make an impact for Christ. For some of you, that means you think you're too young to serve Jesus. You think that that you got to wait to get older, to get more mature, before you can serve Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to know. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And He can use you no matter how young you are. And not only can he use you, guess what? He wants 
to use you. I love to, I love to share with my, my, my kids the story of King Josiah. The boy king that led in a great revival. Great revival. He was mightily used by God as a young man. And I want you to know that no matter if you're, you're at, at, at a young age, God wants to use you. Hey, listen to me, young person. I won't be at your school tomorrow sitting in your classroom. You will be. I won't be around your friends in your neighborhood tomorrow. You will be. I won't be at your workplace if you've got a job. You will be. And God has placed you there, filled you with the Spirit, because He wants you to make a difference. Right? And so the Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower, regardless of age. Some young folks think, I can't really serve God. And guess what? Some older folks think think they are through serving God. Hey, look at me for a minute. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible. Well, you know, I've paid my dues. I've done my work. Time for some younger folks to step up. Show me that in the Bible. The Bible says teach younger folks, but it never says you can retire from serving Jesus. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. The Bible says here that, that older folks will experience the pouring out of the Spirit of God and they will have a key role in evangelizing a lost and dying world. You're not too young to serve Jesus and you're not too old to serve Jesus. If you have the Spirit of God and He's put breath in your lungs, He has a purpose for you to serve Him. So the Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower regardless of age. Next, the Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower. Oh, this is good. Regardless of social standing. Look what the Bible says. Verse 17. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. Speaking here of of those who live in society. And and they they are bond servants. They don't have prestige and prominence. They're not high on the social ladder. The prominent of the day look past these folks. But but the, the Lord says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit even on bond servants. Can I tell you this? The gift of the Spirit of God is for the important in the world's eyes. And the gift of the Spirit of God is for the unimportant in the world's eyes. The gift of the Spirit of God is for Christ followers who uh, are wealthy. The gift of the the Holy Spirit is for Christ followers who have nothing. Because guess what? If you're in the kingdom of God, you have value. God loves you. He saved you. And He has given you the Spirit To use your life. Can I tell you this? You know, Jesus said, the last will be first, the first will be last. I think that when you and I get to heaven, we are going to be astounded at who's at the front of the line. We're going to walk up thinking, yeah, where's my my spot? 
I'm pretty important in this whole deal. And the folks are going to start streaming past us. We're going to say, him? Her? They were used mildly of God? They made an impact? And we're going to be astounded at the people that God uses and that served Him faithfully that we've never even heard of. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for every Christ follower regardless of social standing. But let me give you one more thing. The Spirit is a gift for every Christ follower regardless of ethnicity. Look what he says in verse 17. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and, and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Wait, how do we know he's talking about there? How do you know he's talking about different ethnicities? Because we see the Spirit being poured out on different ethnic groups throughout Acts. When the gospel goes to Samaria, the, the disciples, the apostles, see the Spirit fall on the Samaritans. And when the gospel goes to the Gentiles, the apostles see the, the gospel, I mean, so the Spirit fall upon Gentiles. So they're going to see God pour out on his, his Spirit on different ethnicities, not just Jews but everyone that names the name of Christ. The gift of the Spirit is for every Christ follower, regardless of ethnicity. How many of you have a smartphone on you right now? Okay, how many of you have sent a text message since the, the, the sermon started? I'm kidding. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Your smartphone is an amazing device. I've heard, I've, I don't know the, the technological data, but I've heard that there is more technology in our smartphone than, than there was on the Apollo moon missions. Okay? Smartphone. Incredible all the things you can do. Can I tell you this? Your smartphone will eventually become absolutely worthless to you without a charger. Right? I mean, if you can't turn it on, it's not going to help you. I don't care how much technology is in there. It's just not going to help you. You have to have a charger. You have to have power. And can I tell you this? If you're going to be used by God, you have to have power. And God offers you the power of the Spirit. And as you daily surrender to Him, He will fill up your life and use you in great and mighty ways. Let me give you a third thing very quickly. We live in the most... Exciting time in human history. We have the greatest power available to us. And third, we have the greatest message to proclaim. Look what he says in verse 21. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible's clear. God pours out his spirit for the purpose of proclaiming the good news. He, he mentions there, the spirit will be poured out. Verse 17, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Verse 18, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. They're going to speak forth truth. And so the Spirit is given so that we will share good news, truth about Jesus Christ. Luther here defined prophecy as the, the knowledge of God through Christ, which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes to burn through the word of the gospel. Now here's what's interesting about that. Over in Numbers chapter 11. There are some folks other than Moses that are prophesying on behalf of God. And Moses' followers run up to him and say, Hey, do something about those folks over there that are trying to speak on behalf of God. You're the one that speaks on behalf of God around here. And Moses said, Leave them alone. 
Oh, that everyone, everyone would prophesy as the Spirit gives them utterance. And that desire that Moses had is fulfilled in the church age. Every Christ follower has the Holy Spirit given to them as a gift from God, which will enable them to speak forth the truth of the gospel. That's the connection here. Now, so Wade, what's so great about this message? If you look in your notes, the good news, this, this thing we prophesy, we proclaim, the good news is that Jesus did everything necessary to save sinners. Next week, we're going to study the finished work of Christ, his, his death on the cross, His glorious resurrection. Jesus did everything for you and I to be saved. We're sinners. We deserve punishment, but Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment for us. He rose from the grave. He defeated death itself so He can forgive us because He paid it all. And He can give us eternal life because He defeated death itself. Amen? He did everything necessary to save sinners. And here's the the wonderful truth about that. If anyone, everyone say anyone. If anyone calls on the name of Jesus, they will be saved. That's what he says. They're going to they're prophesy as a result of the pouring out of the Spirit in the church age. And when they're prophesying the good news, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, verse 21, shall be saved. Now some might quibble here and say, wait, it says call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe he's just talking about generic God. Maybe he's just saying, well, whichever, whichever God people serve, that will be enough to save them, as long as they're sincere in their faith, because all roads, all religions lead to the same place eventually, right? Could he, could he be saying that here? No. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and he, and he tells us that name in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Look with me, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He gets really specific so we don't miss it. Verse 11, this Jesus, everyone say Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone and their salvation and no one else. There is no other name, the name of Jesus, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That's why... We have the best message ever, the most exciting message ever, because when we share it, people can be saved as a response to it. Warren Wiersbe writes, Jesus had finished the great work of redemption, and nothing more had to be done except to share the good news with the world, beginning with the nation of Israel. We have the most exciting message to proclaim. In 1930, King George V was to give the opening address at a special disarmament conference. This speech, which carried with it much worldwide importance, was to be broadcast in America. But right before the king went live with this speech, a cable broke in a New York radio station, and more than one million people were left without the broadcast. They were going to miss this very, very important momentous speech. And so a junior mechanic in that, in that radio station named Harold Vivian solved the problem, listen, by picking up both ends of the cable and allowing 250 volts of electricity to pass through him. 
He was the living link that allowed the king's message to get through. And that is a great picture of the church in the church age. We have the power of the Spirit coursing through us. And we have the privilege of being that living link so people can hear the message of the King. Not King George V, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. That's how God wants to use us. And so the church age is a thrilling time. May these realities stir our hearts.